Please pray with me. Almighty and holy God, you are an exceedingly generous and all-sufficient God. How we praise you for your amazing grace. Without it, we are paupers indeed. But in Christ, we are rich beyond our wildest dreams. You give power to the weak and to those who have no might. You increase strength. Oh, Father, your servant needs your strength right now. I pray that you would mortify my flesh and fill me with your power. Help me to speak your truth with power and pinpoint accuracy despite technical difficulties. I pray, Lord God, for those watching and listening, that your grace would flow through your word like the sweet abundance of living water that comes from you alone. This I ask in the name of our risen and reigning Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You are so full of... How would you fill in the blank? How would those who know you best fill in the blank? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul taught that the Holy Spirit imparts the ninefold fruit of the Spirit to believers. Christians live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and are led by the Spirit. Well, what exactly does that mean? In short, Christians are little tabernacles for the Spirit of God. Last week we learned that our purpose in life is to glorify God. In our flesh, that is impossible. But in the Spirit, we are given present glory. The more Spirit-led we are, the more He transforms us into God's glory-filled image. Second Corinthians 3 18 says that we all with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. The words from glory to glory sum up the entire Christian life from redemption and sanctification on earth to our eternal glorification in heaven. Our present glory is our sanctification on earth as we press on to our eternal home and our promised glory. We will one day be changed and given glorious, new, perfect, pain-free, fat-free bodies. We will one day be changed from glory to glory. Hallelujah. But the Holy Spirit is in us right now. We are filled with God's glory right now. The word glory comes from the Hebrew word kabod, which means weight or weightiness. As applied to God's glory, it means the heavy, weighty, awe-inspiring sum total of all his attributes. He is beautifully, awesomely, splendidly, and uniquely glorious. 
Glory is God's sparkle. Glory is who he is. His divine being houses glory. And amazingly, he gives his glory to his children. All believers are little tabernacles, houses for God's glory. His glory in us is imperfect and limited by our sin nature. But in the future, it will be perfected and limitless. Until then, we must live in the fullness of our present glory. We serve God in his beloved and universal church, praying, Your kingdom come, O God. Your will be done. How do we accomplish such a lofty goal? We must be spirit-led Christians. The truth that arises out of Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 10 is that God uses spirit-led Christians to fulfill the purpose of his church. We'll look at that in three divisions, spirit-led restoration, spirit-led relationships, and spirit-led reaping. Our first division is spirit-led restoration. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. In verse uh, Galatians chapter 5, Paul described the nature of a spirit-led life. Remember, he spoke of walking in the spirit, um, being led by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit. Well, from chapter 5 flows chapter 6. And chapter 6 is all about the new life in the spirit and how it leads Christians to live out their faith in biblical community. It's about how God uses spirit-led Christians to fulfill the purpose of his church. God's redeemed people are called the body of Christ, the church, or Christ's bride. Christ loves the church. He died to make her his own. 1 Peter 2.9 says that the church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. 1 Timothy 3.15 says the church is the household of God and a pillar and buttress of his gospel. As God's family, the church is charged with knowing God and making him known with proclaiming the gospel in word and deed, living, loving one another well and ministering God's grace to those in the world. The church belongs to God, is for God, and does God's will. Paul is speaking to the church in this passage that is revealed in verse 1 with one word, brothers. This is the familial language of believers. We have all been adopted into God's family. We are all spiritual siblings in Christ. But there can be no sibling rivalry. God saves us and empowers us by his spirit that we might live in community with one another and so fulfill his mission in the world. He commands us to love one another and serve one another. 
Sometimes this can be difficult to do. Verse 1 continues, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. To be caught in transgression refers to a temptation that sneaks up and catches a believer off guard, not to a habitual or intentional sin. Loving and serving one another well sometimes then means speaking hard truth in love. This takes courage and humility. When someone in your church family is caught in transgression or sin, the spiritual among you should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. The the word used for restore literally means to heal by returning to its former condition. How well do you know your church family? Well enough to know if they're in sin? Would you know if any were missing in action or straying from the community of faith? God loves his church. He uses spirit-led Christians to fulfill the purpose of his church. Therefore, he expects us to love and serve one another well. Spirit-led Christians are responsible for going after missing and straying believers. Now, this does not qualify you to act as a righteousness police. Paul adds an important qualifier. He says, you who are spiritual. Are you spiritual? In other words, are you a spirit-led Christian? You and I cannot rescue our erring spiritual siblings if we are not led by the Spirit. Before we make one move to restore someone caught in transgression, we must first check our own hearts. Often the very sin that we see in another, we are or have been guilty of ourselves. It is why we can see it. It is also why God can use us to minister to a fellow sinner. We understand their struggle. However, we must mortify any pride or self-righteousness and humble ourselves in genuine repentance before God. Then, gentleness must permeate our words. This, remember, is a facet of the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit-led Christians become more and more gentle as they make their home in Christ and as they regularly invite Christ to make his home in them. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart. This describes the heart of our good shepherd. Therefore, gentleness is part of God's glory that fills 
a believer's little tabernacle. In the last part of verse 1, Paul says, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We so easily fall into temptation. Paul knew that. Believers must persevere in guarding against the temptations of their flesh, the world, and the devil. They must be spirit-led. They must be filled with the spirit. Only spirit-led Christians can firmly but humbly and gently care for those caught in transgression with the goal of restoring them. As the body of Christ, we are one interdependent body. When one sins or suffers, it affects us all, or it should. Remember this, when your spiritual sibling approaches you to speak the truth in love about your sin. Our truth in this division is that spirit-led Christians love one another well through the firm but gentle restoration from sin. How well do you know your church family? How well do you love them? What are some specific ways you could care for the spiritual well-being of someone caught in sin? When a sister in Christ is ensnared in the fierce battle that the flesh wages against the spirit and the flesh is winning, she needs someone to rescue her. This is a difficult but necessary work that some of us are conflict avoidant. We don't want to do that. Some of us tend to be critical and judgmental. We should not do that. But done according to the Spirit, restoring a straying or erring believer is the most loving thing we can do. We rescue them by steering them back onto the path of walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. We love them back into the community of faith where they can benefit from Spirit-led relationships. That's our second division, Spirit-led relationships, Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 6. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Burdens are a fact of life for everyone, not just believers. Besides the burden of sin, though, believers carry heavy, soul-crushing, glory-extinguishing burdens like sorrow, grief, worry, doubt, fear, loneliness, depression, just to name a few. Thankfully, God has ordained help for believers. First and foremost, he has given us Jesus as our good shepherd. He guides and comforts his sheep. 
In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he invites us to carry all our burdens to him and receive his rest. He is our burden-carrying liberator. He has set us free from all burdens. Run to him. Give him all your burdens. Trust him and rest. Second, God has given all Christians the responsibility of bearing the burdens of their brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the daily mission of every believer, and it requires selflessness and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh cares only about self. We need the Spirit to produce in us the love, goodness, gentleness, and kindness that we need to care about our burdened spiritual siblings and so fulfill the purpose of God's church. We must be alert to the burdens of others and move quickly to help bear the burdens that are crushing them. This is not optional. This is what Paul means when he says, bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. John Stott says that the law of Christ is to love one another as he loves us. That is the new command he gives in John thirteen thirty four. We should not be crushed by this command, but should delight in it and realize that we have the power to fulfill it through the Spirit's ministry in our lives. Carrying one another's burdens in our own strength can crush us. But believers house God's glory. His power lives in our little tabernacles. We have all we need to love and serve one another well through the work of burden bearing. Most of us also have what we do not need. Pride. Look at verses 3 and 4. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Were you a little confused by that passage? It's, um, it's not clear in first read exactly what Paul is getting at, but... Um, Reading what scholars said, uh, I might be able to help you understand it a little better. In our flesh, we think we are something. Now, that's not a surprise to any of us. We think we're something even if we are only legends in our own minds, right? This kind of pride hinders our love for spiritual siblings, a love that should be the mark of every believer. The fact is, apart from Jesus Christ, we are nothing. We have nothing and we can do nothing in the body of Christ. Our pride must be mortified, put to death, so that we can put on humility. The sin of pride is also why we must test our work. 
Verse 4 continues by saying, Then our reason to boast will be in ourselves alone, not in our neighbor. Now this seems to contradict Paul's warning against pride in verse 3. But what Paul is doing is encouraging us to test or evaluate our lives in view of what God says and commands, not what others say and do. This is the practice of self-evaluation. When we take the time to measure our lives by God's standards, we will be moved to face-planting humility. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, this verse seems to contradict verse 2. Actually, they complement each other. We bear one another's burdens and we bear our own load. The original Greek helps. In verse 2, Paul uses the word baros which means a weight or a very heavy load. It is a load that is too heavy for one person to carry. Spiritually speaking, it is a soul-crushing load. Help is needed to bear it. In verse 5, Paul uses the word fortune, which refers to a man's pack, like a backpack, a personal backpack designed for one person to carry. This illustrates the weight that every believer must carry, the weight of their own personal responsibility before God. First Peter 4.10 says that God has given each of you a gift of his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. The Holy Spirit, who lives in our little tabernacles, gives us his fruit as well as his gifts. Everyone has the same fruit, but each one has their own gift or gifts. With that gift, comes the responsibility to glorify God and fulfill the purpose of his church. All believers will one day be judged for how they have used their gifts and obeyed God's commands. All believers will one day answer to God for what they have done and left undone. Spirit-led Christians Make it their life's work to do all that God created them to do and to leave nothing undone. Another mark of a spirit-led Christian is in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This says that God expects his church to care for his called and ordained pastors and teachers. The call for believers to share all good things primarily refers to a congregation's care for their pastor or pastors. This is another burden-bearing work. Done well, the preaching of God's word requires careful and diligent study. 
This is a costly labor that takes time, focus, and energy. In addition to the preaching of God's word, pastors pastor. God holds them accountable to care for the spiritual needs of his sheep by guiding them, counseling them, comforting them, and praying for them. This is a huge responsibility and a boros kind of burden. Spirit-led Christians must come alongside their pastors and help them carry this burden. Teaching the Bible and shepherding God's sheep is often more than a full-time job. Pastors should not be distracted by financial and physical needs, but instead should be cared for generously by all who benefit from the fruit of their labor. In Paul's day, Christian congregations made it their duty to set their pastors free from worldly cares and burdens so they could focus on feeding God's sheep the vital nutrition of God's word. This is what spirit-led Christians do. They share all good things with their spiritual family. They heed God's call to engage in generous, burden-bearing service to their spiritual siblings and spiritual leaders. Our second truth is that spirit-led Christians engage in generous, burden-bearing service within the body of Christ. How might you minister to someone being crushed by a heavy burden right now? How are you caring for your spiritual siblings and your spiritual leaders. Think practically and relationally. First, work to get to know the people in your home church. Then, invite a struggling sibling to share a meal or coffee. Foster a spirit-led relationship that gives your spiritual sibling a soft place to land. Ask God to give you eyes to see the struggles of others and the wisdom to engage with them in generous, burden-bearing service. Pray for your pastor or your pastors. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Ask God to give you tangible ways to come alongside them in support. This does does not just mean money. It means sending your pastor and his bride on a date night, offering to babysit their children, taking a meal for no other reason than to show your love, care, and support, sending a text or an email to ask how you can intercede in prayer for him or offer to serve in a place of need in your local church. Spirit-led Christians are commanded to engage in generous, burden-bearing service within the body of Christ. 
Paul's next instruction lights a fire under us because he says we will reap what we sow. Our third division is spirit-led reaping. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 10. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Paul warns the Galatians not to be deceived by the same deception that still tempts us today, the temptations of the flesh. It whispers that we can do whatever we want without any serious consequences. We say it's my body or I'm not hurting anyone. It is the lie that says we can sin now and repent later. We say, I just need to sow a few wild oats. I'll get back to that God stuff later. Scotsman James Brown says that it is the lie that says a man may attain ultimate happiness without living a spiritual life. Do not be deceived, my friends. God is not mocked. We mock God when we scorn him or treat him with contempt. When we know what he demands of us, yet choose to please our sin nature anyway. But we cannot fool God. No one can defy his authority forever. One day we will reap what we sow. This is a divine law. Paul elaborates in verse 8, he says, For for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We sow to our flesh when we give it the power and the freedom to run our lives or when we indulge in its desires instead of crucifying it. The flesh must be mortified. If it is not, you will reap corruption. The word corruption is used to describe a gradual decay, like a decomposing corpse. Is that what you want to reap? Sin harms our bodies physically and spiritually. Sin also harms the body, the body of Christ. The Galatian Christians were indulging in their sin nature by being circumcised to gain salvation by their own works. Others were giving in to the passions of the flesh like sexual immorality, idolatry, and drunkenness. The second half of verse 8 encourages us to be spirit-led Christians because if we sow to the Spirit, we will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Sowing to the Spirit means obeying His instructions for holy living. 
The seed we sow comes from the fruit of the Spirit, and it is cultivated using spiritual disciplines like the teaching of God's Word, prayer, worship, and the sacraments. When we choose to live for God's glory and God's pleasure rather than our own, we are sowing to the Spirit and we reap eternal life. Now, this does not mean that salvation comes by works. Paul has been arguing all through the book of Galatians that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you learn nothing else this year, please learn that, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul is not changing his mind now. He is saying that eternal life is a believer's present possession. Our eternal life has already begun. This is our present glory. When we sow to the Spirit, we reap. We don't receive. We reap eternal life. It is a foretaste of heaven and the glory in our little tabernacles shines brighter and brighter. When we sow to the spirit, we are being sanctified, changed from glory to glory. Sowing to the spirit is hard work though. So Paul exhorts us in verse 9, to not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. To grow weary is to grow faint or lose heart. This is a very real affliction for believers, especially those in ministry. They burn out exhausting their supply of energy and passion. They're tempted to sin. They experience opposition. They get discouraged by poor participation or poor results. After doing the hard work of sowing, they don't see much grow. There's very little to reap. Yet the pressures of the work in God's church remain. There are neighbors to love, sinners to restore, burdens to bear, ministers to support. And it's so very tempting to give in and give up. But Paul says, do not do it. Do not grow weary. Praise God that Jesus is a good shepherd who never grows weary of doing good to us. Meditate on his example. Stay close to the Spirit. Let him lead you. Stay close to your spiritual siblings. Ask them to bear your burdens with you by praying for you and walking alongside you. In due time, meaning in God's perfect timing, you will reap a glorious, glorious harvest for the God of glory. Press on, persevere, because God uses spirit-led Christians to fulfill the purpose of his church. 
Verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to the household of faith. While we await the harvest, Paul gives us specific instructions. As we have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially to our spiritual siblings. The first thing to note is that the phrase, as we have opportunity. The Greek word for opportunity is the word for time or season. The way that Paul uses it conveys the urgency of the coming harvest, that coming spiritual harvest. In other words, this is a limited opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Don't miss it. Carpe diem. Seize the day. What you reap now and into eternity depends on what you sow today. We also reflect the glory of our good shepherd Jesus when we care for our own. We proclaim his love to a watching world when we care for our own. To do otherwise is unthinkable. Our Scottish friend, James Brown, again writes that for a Christian to be unkind to a Christian is not only wrong, it is monstrous. Spirit-led Christians must do good to all inside and outside the church, but they are to be especially good to those who are in the household of faith. They have been adopted by God, just as you have. They are members of the same spiritual family. They're spiritual siblings. They have a special claim on our good works. This is important because doing good to all proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gives us our third truth. Spirit-led Christians proclaim the gospel by doing good to everyone. What seeds are you sowing? Are they seeds of destruction or seeds of glory? Have you been unkind, unloving, or uncaring? toward your spiritual siblings? How could you do good to them instead? Make a list. What good will you do? Who will receive the blessing of that good? Doing good means being the hands, feet, eyes, ears, and mouth of Christ to express his love to the world. Doing good means meeting people's needs, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, visiting the sick, showing hospitality to strangers, and praying for those who are struggling. Lastly, doing good means pleasing God. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
reintroduce yourself to the spirit living in your little tabernacle. Surrender to his leading. Then get going and keep going. Do every good thing you can possibly do, making the most of every opportunity until you draw your last breath. There are a lot of everyone's in need of your good deeds. A spirit-led Christian proclaims the gospel by doing good to everyone. So what are you full of? Greed? Gossip? Or glory and the good fruit of the Spirit? Living filled with God's Holy Spirit, it's a, our present glory. But we are promised a future glory that is far, far greater the promised glory inspires the pursuit of present glory. By the Spirit, we live pure lives to the glory of His holy name now. Our little tabernacles are filled with the glory of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple? It's a tabernacle. A temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Second Corinthians 6.16 continues the thought saying, For we are the temple, or the tabernacle, of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you hear hints of heaven, little tabernacle? As the Holy Spirit radically transforms us, he opens our eyes to see the glorious journey that is taking us from glory to glory. At the journey's end, we will be changed, completely transformed from present glory into promised glory. Hold on to that hope. Surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading. Choose to be a spirit-led Christian God uses to fulfill the purpose of his church. Pray the words of an old saint named Oswald Chambers. Lord, this day glorify thyself. Light up this house my body with thy glory so that from all windows thou might look forth unhindered and radiant. Please pray with me. Lord God, you are good. Your loving kindness endures forever. Your faithfulness through all generations. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. O Holy Spirit, fill us 
with your holiness. We want to see your glory and display your glory. Shatter our flesh. Sanctify our souls. Open our eyes to see you. Fill our hands to serve you. Stir our hearts to love you. To you, O God, we lift up our souls. In the mighty name above all names, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.